1: And right now on Fast Money, rates, they keep rising. The 10-year at a 14-year high. The two-year over 4.5%. But get this, mortgage rates at their highest level since 2001. Wow. The ripple impacts on the markets, your money, and housing straight ahead. An earnings bonanza breaking tonight from Tesla to Las Vegas Sands and Big Blue. We're going to go inside the numbers and the trades for you. And later on, profit by the barrel. President Biden scolding big oil for not drilling more of the White House. Wants more fossil fuels. Is that great news for the oil stocks, which have already been on a tear? We'll dig into that as well. Plus, more on your money and the macro markets and moments. Oh, and by the way, hi, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan, in for Melissa again tonight. This is Fast Money as always live from the NASDAQ market site. I love it. We have a full house tonight. Good to have you, tonight. Brian, once again. <laughs> it's good to, have, it's good good to, to be here. here. I'm a survivor. Tim Seymour, <laughs> Karen Feynman. Bono and I and you. the Chartmaster Carterworth all on set. Great to have you with us, too, as well. Whether you're on your drive home, TV, radio, we don't care. Thanks for joining us. All right, we're going to do a lot more on oil and gas later on, but not right now. In fact, right now, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to start with no oil. That is Tesla, the electric vehicle maker, coming in strong on earnings, but missing slightly on revenue. Shares dropping in the after hours, down about 3.5%. For more on the actual numbers before the trade, let's bring in Phil LeBeau on Tesla.
2: Phil. Brian, let's start first off with the good news. If you are a bull on Tesla, they beat the street in terms of earnings for the third quarter, earning $1. five a share. The expectation was for $0.99 cents a share, so that was better than expected. As you mentioned, revenue coming in, a little shy of expectations, coming in at $21.45 billion. The estimate was for $21.96 billion. And then it's the numbers within the numbers that get so much attention. Many people focus on automotive gross margins, excluding zero-emission vehicle credits. That came in at 26.8%. Most thought it would come in around 28.5%. That speaks to the margin pressure that they're feeling. Operating margins coming in at 17.2%. Total revenue up 56% compared to the same quarter a year ago. Automotive revenue up 55%. What did Tesla say about achieving its annual delivery goal of growing deliveries by at least 50% annually? Well, they reiterated that. Remember, for them to do that, they will need to deliver, I think, 450, 460,000 vehicles in the fourth quarter. The estimate is for them to reach 1.35 million vehicles delivered in uh, the year for the year, which would be, what, another 450, 460,000 vehicles in the fourth quarter. As for the supply chain, they do say that it's challenging but improving. And they also believe that uh, they're going to see some improved operations at all of their gigafactories. I know that sounds kind of like bland language, but that is what they're saying in their deck and that the Tesla, Tesla semi-truck, those deliveries will start in December. But though that's not new news, they said that some time ago that they expected to uh, begin those deliveries uh, later this year. So that's what we have right now. As always, Brian, it's the conference call. If Elon Musk is on it, what does he have to say to give people a better sense of what Tesla can expect, not just for the fourth quarter, but more importantly, when you look out at 2023?
3: Phil, how about Shanghai? It's, it's a case where, as seems as China goes, so goes Tesla. Yep. Shanghai's been ramping up. That's actually good news, even though it's bringing down wait times. And I think Absolutely. people are confusing demand um, for, with production that's actually coming online. Talk about that
2: right and part of the problem is when you look at their uh, third quarter miss in deliveries a big part of that is because they could not deliver as many vehicles as they wanted to deliver and they say it was logistical concerns a lot of that surrounding the operations in china you are exactly right that they have been ramping up their production in china but the problem is people will get these reports that the wait time has come down in china and immediately they say oh my god the sky is falling. They no longer have a long backlog in China. Therefore, demand is slipping. Keep in mind, they're going to be up over a million vehicles in production at that plant in China uh, within the next year. I think the run rate is probably there right about now. So it's, it's one of those things, Tim. You, you, know, you know this. People see some report that says demand is slipping in China, and boom, they immediately think that everything is falling to pieces there. Yep.
4: Bill, it's Karen. Let me ask something. At the Investor um, Day a couple, or a couple of weeks ago, they talked about delivery sort of en route. Is that, do you think, what gives them confidence yes. about this fourth quarter number?
2: I, yeah, probably. I mean, it, theoretically, they're, they're, gonna sit, they're sitting on, what, 25,000, approximately 25,000 vehicles that were en route. So they'll be delivered in the fourth quarter. But let me turn it around this way, Karen. How do you know they're not going to run into the same logistical issues at the end of the fourth quarter? You know, they have been saying for some time that they want to get away from this lumpy end-of-the-quarter rush towards deliveries. And yet, what do we see at the end of every quarter? An email to employees, all hands on deck, we need to deliver as many vehicles as possible. I mean, it's a bit of a broken record that happens at the end of every single quarter. So you may have some confidence that they have these already in route that will help them with deliveries in the fourth quarter. How do you know they're not going to run into that same issue at the end of December?
1: Yeah, well we're gonna wait for that conference call, Phil, and see if Elon Musk jumps on it as well. I have a feeling we will see Phil tomorrow morning on CNBC as well. Yes. Just a wild will. wild speculation there on my part. Phil LeBeau, thank you very much. I want to trade this, and before we go to you, Bonnowin, Carter, I was I'm looking at your charts, because they send us your charts ahead of time. I mean, I'm no technician, but that's an ugly looking chart. Isn't it? I mean, am I wrong? And that's how I read it? (laughs) That's my technical analysis. I mean,
5: sometimes they're very uh, clear, sometimes very not clear. But this is a fairly clear circumstance. A great winner. What stock goes from 12 on its low in 2019 to 415 in this kind of market cap? And yet now is down 50 percent, hovering at its prior lows. The question is this. For the past three years, the burden of proof has been on the bear. I don't like Tesla as it goes higher. I don't like Tesla. Now it's switched. The burden of proof is on the bull. The bear just points to you're down 50%, you're underperforming the market, and it just put up results, and it's indicated lower in the night market.
6: That's you it. You know, it's interesting. We've, we've made, uh, you know, quite a bit about, okay, should we be looking at gross margins? Should we be looking at operating margins, excluding or including the credits? I think the emissions credits has all, have always been part of the Tesla store and they've been poo-pooed for it, but like, I, I, I'm hesitant to say that they should necessarily be viewed through the same lens as a Ford or GM when it comes to that. They have been a leader in zero emissions and that has always been part of the business plan. But one thing that I will point out, and I'm here in, in Carter's camp, you've got to look at the sales numbers. This is a name that trades on price to sales or EV to sales. It's still very much a growth story. So while I do think you have to really concentrate on the operating profitability of this company, the, it, Without the growth, and they're calling for 50% growth, without that, this doesn't trade at this multiple. So that revenue miss, to me, is not immaterial. It's kind of glossed over. But at the end of the day, this is still very much a growth story. Any support? Can we bring that chart back up, guys, please? Any support? What, what, what numbers
1: are we looking at yeah, here, Yeah, so,
5: so this is actually a, what you see on the screen here is the, the all-data chart since the IPO. And we blew out through the top of that very well-defined channel, and now this topping formation leaves us back just into it. We will sink into it for the first time since uh, the blow-off uh, tomorrow morning, presumptively, if and as it goes lower. There isn't really any support.
3: And I would just say, though, that as much as I agree with Carter's charts like everybody here, I will say that it's been easy to, to point at Tesla and say it's been a major underperformer. Look, relative to those June lows, it's really it's, it's in line with the market. In other words, mm-hmm. it overshoots on the way up, it overshoots on the way down, and it's basically on a relative place to where the market was at its June lows, and if we're effectively there now, Tesla's right there. But, but talking about it in PE context and talking about the fundamentals, because uh, I'll let these guys do the technicals, at 45 times, you still have some issues. If you're looking at this company now and you're saying, hey, uh, are they working out the logistics? Um, I'm going to say, actually, the burden of proof may be that the economies of scale for this company in terms of gross margins, x auto credits, is probably moving higher. And that's actually what people want to see. I am not bullish on this yeah. stock. In fact, I've been bearish for a long time is- and largely wrong. I'll say this. This is not the time to jump in and buy the stock. And that's from the fundamental perspective.
1: This is Karen, I don't have some great genius insight on Tesla. But, but I wanna add this point, which this has gotta be one of these companies that frustrates the hell out of investors. I'll tell you why. People love the product. They, you talk to somebody who owns a Tesla, they're an evangelist, they'll never go back to gas again. Sales are unbelievable, revolutionary leader. And yet the stock just getting crushed along with the market, but still not outperforming. It's one of these situations where it's like, we love the product, we love whatever it is. The stock's just having trouble and it's gotta really be frustrating. For yeah, the average I mean, investor.
4: Well, there's a, well the average investor, if they've been in it any amount of time since its beginning, they've probably made money. I have not, I've been not a, I haven't drunk the Kool Aid ever. I always found it to be incredibly expensive. Of course, l- left tons of money on the table. To me, it's similar to Netflix in that idea of. Or Amazon. Absolutely lo- or or Amazon, early Amazon. Where it trades at just a really crazy multiple that you can't really ever justify. And ultimately, those things do come down. We saw Netflix go from. 700 to 170, maybe.
1: My point was kind of like the lesson, too, is like the lesson as an investor, like, I, like Peter Lynchian, right? I love the product. Sales growth is unbelievable. Everything's going great. Why am I down 50%? You know, well, for think a think lot of a fun- people, it probably fun- doesn't make sense. But
5: it's a function of the fact of how good a performer it was. How many stocks go from 12 to 415 in two and a half years? But I think Tim makes a very important point, and it should be talked about a little bit more. Tesla's back to its June low, just as the market is. But the difference is that when it rallied in August, right, Tesla's down 35% from its August high versus the S&P That's down 18, Meaning it took more money and capital in, and that money is reversing itself. It, it probably breaks.
3: No, and, and I, I, again... I'll get back to what are the catalysts because we know well on this desk that two major catalysts for the stock over the last year and a half to two years were the stock split and the S&P inclusion. That was worth 150% in the stock. And, and, and yes, some delivery numbers and some profitability. And this is where, again, I think the company is actually – Shown that they can scale, but I don't see the catalyst here, uh, and I see a whole lot of competition. If we're actually believing in this EV story, if we're judging them on deliveries, if we're judging them on margins, it sounds like a car company to me. It doesn't sound like a company where we're just don't betting say on the that. Future. I mean, because now I, well, you're I mean, talking a totally it, different yeah, valuation well, then, game. Then, yeah, I, I hear you. Although, although you can make an argument that the reason that Ford and GM trade at multiples that are six and seven or five and six right now is because their internal combustion engine business isn't given any value. And, and that's why they are so cheap, because uh, the EV side of it is worth so much more. Um, I don't agree with that, by the way. But, again, Tesla is a car company. It's time to start paying the piper. And this is not a valuation you want to own. Well, well
6: that and they it, had to emerge from, you know, bankruptcy restructuring. So, I mean, there, there's a yeah. long, there's a but if long way behind if you, if, those To two. Tim's point, if you, slap a, if you slap a VW or a GM or a Toyota multiple on this stock, Oh, certainly, certainly you are. But yeah, but but then, but then you're completely discounting battery, the, the, the battery ingenuity. You're discount- well, I'm, not Optimus, I'm not saying we I'm should do. I'm not saying we should do it. Putting
4: in anything for optimists. Yeah, I'm
1: just saying. Like, but to Tim's point, if people start to look at it like a car company.
6: Well, the car companies aren't valued on all of their parts either. So you don't want to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side where you're completely getting rid of Are all the Are you defending the
3: valuation? And I'm not in your face I, right now. I'm, I'm just no, kind of no, curious. I mean, not. do you think it's worth owning here or no? There is no valuation.
6: No I, no, I don't. But I do not think it should trade at the same multiple of a historical I or GM. I agree okay, with that. Okay, there's, there's no
4: quite a wide chasm. But should it
6: trade it ten
1: times? There is
5: no
6: valuation. It shouldn't trade at 45. What do you times? mean
4: there is no valuation?
5: Is, what does it, it mean? Was it expensive when it went from 12 to 24, yeah. then it went to 100? Valuation is one of the worst timing tools known to men. Over time, it works. Five years, two years, something's cheaper, it gets cheaper. Is it still cheap? There is no valuation for
1: Tesla. I
3: right? tell you, I once you does. get Carter a main seat on this desk, man, he is fighting oh, he's, the he's So of the mild-mannered chart guys remotely really? when he's at home I in his velvet butt pajamas. Today, yeah. He's got
1: those velvet pajama bottoms, the smoking pipe. <laughs> All right, let's bring in <laughs> for more on Tesla's quarter. Let's bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, no doubt, you've been sitting there champing at the bit, listening to this. Is anything we said inaccurate that you disagree with? <laughs> You can go right
7: after Tim or Bonnell. <laughs> I might go after um, everybody on this case. First, oh. there this easy was this to was say remote. a remote. <laughs> uh, easy to say <laughs> remote. Agree, Brian. Uh, they, uh, this is uh, far from a proper quarter. I'm just going to articulate what that was. They missed the production or the delivery numbers by 4%. This is back on October se- uh, 2nd. They missed revenue by 2%. ASPs were 4% below. When you have a growth story, and you use the word miss, that means the stock goes down. That's what we're seeing a little bit in the after hours. I think there's been some anticipation of that over the last few weeks, and that's why the stock has done what it's done. And so I uh, I would start with but there is a problem here. There is going to be a rethinking about what ASPs. ASPs were down sequentially down 4%, as I mentioned. Uh, That is kind of uh, uh, really, you have to think twice about that because of what's going on with the overall world and inflation. That, of course, was because the ramp in production in China, as Tim had mentioned. But the piece that uh, maybe I I would have a different opinion on versus, I think, most of uh, esteemed trading panel is that uh, valuation agree, I think Carter was talking about this not being a useful tool, is that it's a useful tool if you have some predictability about where things are going. And in this case, this is probably where I'm going to be different. I don't drink the Kool-Aid. I have uh, I try to take just a very uh, logical approach to this. And I think at the bottom of the uh, at the end of the day is that they're going to go from call it 120 billion in revenue at the end of 2023 to probably 400 billion in 2026. Uh, it's going to be 2027. It's going to be a huge ramp. And where I'm at a different place that gets lost on days like today, Is I think the traditional car companies are just in a tough spot. Something that I've said, we keep talking about competition. Uh, We keep talking about them, uh, other players going out and having a significant uh, market share. VW's done a great job, but the rest of the auto industry hasn't. And I think just because uh, Ford comes out with an electric 150, I don't. I think uh, the expectations from those buyers are going to be this is going to be a Tesla-like experience. Be able to charge it when you want to going to have the software updates that you want to and i think one two three years now there's going to be some disappointment and i think uh, what tesla has done ground up i think rivian's also in a great place i think that that gets missed in a day like today i just think that structurally this company is going to grow 50 percent 40 percent much faster than i think people are giving them credit for today
1: well also when you're getting 120 miles to a tow on an electric truck a lot of people who tow a lot not going to be happy with that I'll leave the car discussion elsewhere. Bono, and I want to talk about the options. I have said for years on CNBC that my buddies who work at hedge funds, Delta One Desk, whatever, Tesla is not important to the market, maybe one of the most important stocks in the world because of all the options activity it generates and that is tied to it. Do you agree with that? Do you think that Tesla as an equity, maybe not to an Apple level, but has an impact on the market?
6: Uh, it does. And you mentioned Delta One and options traders. And those are two different things. So no, I understand. Yeah, I'm talking about know. the baskets of synthetic equities, I'm, which is I'm, Delta I'm with One. And that's financing. And that market, that's where it's like extremely important, right? As long as it still is going to be like a I general. I try to
1: bring up important stuff.
6: Absolutely. Occasionally. As long, as long and, and I think Tim, maybe Karen mentioned the inclusion in the S&P. That allows it to trade like a general collateral, like your typical run-of-the-mill, high-quality type of name. As long as it stays there, the financing implications are very robust. If that changes, Mm. well, then all bets are off. And I would say that would be the first shoe to drop. That would be what I'd be looking for when it comes to valuation or anything else.
1: Yeah, and this is a little, we're a little in the weeds there, but a bit, but I think it is a little more I get out the,
3: We'll get back no, to it. No, and, no. and, and the only thing that might take it there, because the, clearly they have done from an earnings perspective and from an accounting perspective, what they need to do to stay in the S and P are the Elon risks. And again, the risks around the CEO are the ones uh, that I think are still uh, things you can't really quantify. And corporate governance, I still yep. think is important.
1: Buying Twitter? Are you yes. wonder distraction you, for investors? You don't know. All right. We are just hitting the gas pedal. By the way, Gene's going to stick around, listen to the conference call, and probably come back. More after afternoon hours for you, whatever I just said. Shares of Allstate and IBM are on the move. We're going to get details from their quarters as well. Contessa Brewer on Las Vegas Sands, perhaps. Also, talk about being in the green. Shares of cannabis company Green Thumb jumping on some gas station news. Something is afoot at the Circle K, Ted. We'll explain right
4: <laughs> <Dude>. after this. <laughs>
1: All right. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors are not in good hands on Allstate. The insurance company just pre-announcing third quarter results. Shares plunging on 8%. Let's find out what's going on. Katessa Brewer covers insurance for us as well and joins us now. Katessa, what is going on at Allstate? Yeah,
8: they just dropped these results on us. It looks like we're looking at an adjusted net loss here of as much as 450 million dollars let's really focus in here brian on catastrophe losses expected to be 763 million dollars for the quarter, and that's after reinsurance kicks in. If you're looking at Ian alone, look, in Florida, Allstate only has 2.6 percent of market share for these personal property insurance policies in Florida. So 25 percent of what they saw coming in from Ian was related to property lines and 75 percent in auto coverage. And what they've said is that The inflation related to both of these is significantly adding to their costs. We know that house values have skyrocketed in Florida. And so if you're paying someone to replace the loss of their home, the costs are significantly going to increase. Not only that, they're looking at bodily injury costs where it comes to auto insurance increasing as well because of medical inflation. So there you're getting it. They say that the estimated catastrophe losses for just the month of September when Ian happened, $440 million dollars. Uh, they are expecting to have some uh, reinsurance kick in for those policies as well. But a tough, tough quarter for Allstate here, and the shares right now in extended trading yeah. reflecting that.
1: Contest, it's a little bit surprising given to your point that you just made. They're only, what, you said two and a, 2.6% of, of policies?
8: Yeah, but the damage, remember, you're looking at now as much as insured losses from Ian, as much as $70 billion. And we just heard yeah. from Travelers today, which had about uh, a half a billion dollar in catastrophe losses this quarter as well. And uh, the CEO of Travelers was very clear that the morass that is the insurance market in Florida is now threatened in other states as well. He says, look, skyrocketing litigation. I just reiterate again that it accounts for ni- Florida accounts for 9% of the property claims, but almost 80% of the lawsuits nationwide. There is skyrocketing fraud, and what they've seen is that the regulators are keeping premiums artificially low. It makes it very difficult for insurers to operate in Florida, and that's likely to spread elsewhere.
1: Contessa Brewer, and all-state, a negative pre-announcement. I will say the stock is still higher year-to-date, at least going
3: into now. Well, it, it, it should be. Great reporting by Contessa because she's outlining the cross-currents for the sector here. You have a case where there's some great tailwinds right now for insurance. First of all, it should be conservative. It should be recession-resilient, uh, if not recession-proof. It should be a case where rising rates actually help their investments. The flip side of that is not only, Ian, and reinsurance costs and rising fraud, or at least uh, insurance claims, but also even alternative investment losses. We're hearing what's going on with UK pension funds. Insurers here are running into some dynamics. Again, the volatility that are in bond markets and that are in some of these AAA return profiles that they are investing in are things that you have to worry about. So I don't think you run too far. And I think these kinds of pullbacks are ones that are worth taking a look at. Uh, you know, they've dealt with the IANs before. Um, I, I just think that the, the dynamics around uh, pricing power and reinsurance are things that are more unique to these times right now.
5: I mean, one thing about Allstate is if you look at it relative to its group, right, the other property cash like Chubb and Travelers and Progressive, it has been a chronic underperformer. So I just think this is yet more reason not to have this one, certainly if you're in the pairs business.
1: Yep. All right. Well, we'll see if we, how much reinsurance might be able to make up some of that. Let's move on, though, to IBM. The stock is up right now, about 4.5%. IBM did beat on earnings, but only sort of because they beat on lowered expectations. Frank right. Collins has been listening on the conference call,
10: covers IBM. Joining us now, Frank, good evening. What are you hearing? Hey there, Brian. Well, CEO Arvind Krishna on the call right now talking IBM's multi-cloud and AI strategy. Red Hat, an acquisition from 2019, a key part of that, seeing revenue up 18 percent. But you mentioned the stock moving higher. The guidance raised by IBM appears to be the reason that it's moving higher in addition to those earnings beats. The raise was a bit nebulous, but it was optimistic. The company also maintained its free cash flow guidance despite citing headwinds from the rising dollar with more than half of revenue outside of North America. And it was a broad-based beat, with each of the big segments outperforming strong beat in software, where it gets about a third of revenue. Also, with labor costs on the rise, a notable beat for consulting. If you were looking for something to be critical of, to nitpick, the EPS beat, as you mentioned, four cents above today's estimate, but that beat came on lower expectations. Just two months ago, the EPS estimate was $1.91, also a miss on pre-tax margin. And speaking of nitpicking, Brian, you said champing at the bit. What are you, Chuck Rhodes from Billions? And also, it says strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I know Tim was going to correct you. But it's strange things. What did I foot. say? Uh, look, I you mean, said champing Frank at the is bit. there when we need What'd him I most. Say? <laughs> you said champing at the bit. <laughs> that's like from Billion. No, it's no, champing at the, at the bit. bit You've got to be the man, I mean, you, you, that's, you that's a horse. A champ. You, champ. Yes. you don't no, chump. No, I'm, I'm going to defend it's Brian. Champ. when you're having
1: your own. It's circle it's K Is a champ? What's all we going to a We're going to do a Fast Money poll. I think it's strange things are afoot at the Circle I believe was a
3: – Frank, thank you very much. That is the proper quote, I believe, from Circle K. It's it's all good. I think the most important thing to remember about IP, is that this stock has been defensive because it's been uh, such a low volatility mover in terms of their top line and their bottom line. You're basically down three, four percent on total return over the last 10 years in this name. It's not a reason to chase it.
6: Yeah. I mean, I think the expectations are pretty low on this one. But one thing that I will say, and like you can look at, you know, uh, valuations and say, okay, this is more or less in line. But this company has generated, I believe it generated about seven billion in free cash flow over the trailing 12 months. That is the lowest free cash flow generation since I believe two thousand and one, and if you're looking for a defensive posture, you're looking for cash generation, and you would think that this would be a bellwether that's able to achieve that. But just to give some type of you know relative value or perspective in terms of the how the, the performance truly is, it just hasn't lost to the extent that other pockets of the markets have.
1: That's everything, literally. So it's
5: that's, that's
6: where
1: income, we are yeah. now in this market. It's not down as much as everybody else. Not well, down a lot is that, the new
5: good, the smallest loser. That's the question <laughs> here. Now, let's talk about valuations. So this yeah. is the same net income at the end of this year, eight and a half billion as it was in the year 2000. Right. So we right. give that a four multiple, like a Ford, give it a 12. What is the P, we can look it well, up?
4: Well, they've spent so much money the on buybacks <laughs> that had they not done that, like is, I, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's 15. It was a $202 stock in 2013. It's 122 now. I mean it's lo- just pull up a 10 year chart. I mean all IBM's done is basically well
3: it's lose underperformed yeah. money. The, it's underperformed the market in absolute terms by 74%. How's that? Um, but Forever. in, in relative, you know, just in terms of total return on its own, it's down three or four percent. So even with you count reinvestment of its three to four percent now a five percent dividend yield, it, it doesn't do it for you. And the, you know, the Red Hat acquisition was a really smart move and one that they probably overpaid for at the time, but got them into the space that they're in. But we've seen, we've used this metaphor too many times. Turning this boat around is uh, is glacial.
1: All right, there is a lot more to come on Fast Money on this Wednesday night. Here's what's coming up next. Hot at the pumps, one gas station chain filling up on cannabis products, and the deal has
5: shares rolling higher. The details next. Plus, Treasury yields soaring to near 15-year highs, mortgage rates at their highest in two decades. What the moves mean for the markets and the economy. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
1: All right, setting this one out to everybody at Ridgemont High. If you thought that gas prices were high, wait to hear this. Oh, uh, here we go. Uh. Cannabis company, Mr. Hond, cannabis company Green Thumb is striking up a partnership with Circle K gas stations. Yes, you will be able to buy cannabis in some cases at a gas station. Tim. You're in the name, obviously, board distribution. What do you think? Are you in this class?
3: I am today. Um, so, And, and I'm, I'm in this sector today, and I'm in the sector for the long run. And this is the kind of a news that we've been waiting for. So Green Thumb has partnered with Sir Coquet, who is the largest player in the state. And this is really the first strategic move on retail. And, and to that extent, if you're an investor in the cannabis space, and I am, and to be, to be clear, Green Thumb is the second largest position in my cannabis ETF, I, I think this is a very important day. This is a day when also it puts a company who did not have a leading position in Florida into potentially the place to to really increase not only the 10-store commitment, but to rapidly increase and aggressively increase in a potentially asset-like fashion. But it starts to begin to give you the idea of what cannabis could look like in a a national retail scale. And that's something that I think uh, when you consider Circle K, you consider the quality of the strategic, how they know how to position, how to promote, how to actually get buyers in very sophisticated, highly compliant industries. Think about what they do with tobacco. Think about what they do with alcohol. This is a case where partnering with cannabis, I think, is very good, and this is, this is what you want if you're a cannabis company, and it's a smart acquisition or it's a smart deal, and I think it paves the road for other ones.
5: So quite, I gotta, The question is, now, some gas stations sell sushi, which is never a good thing. <laughs> if you go in and now you can <laughs> get your pot, that might increase the bad sushi eating at the gas station. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Circle K. In any event,
3: it's a heck of a chart. Art. It's bottoming.
6: Yes. I like it. It, it is bottoming. So it it is what's the ticket for Pepto? I mean... Uh, that's a good yeah, combo. That's probably what you, you need. You,
3: you say the sector's bottoming? I'm no, curious. No, no, uh,
5: the, 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 the green thumb. I mean, gotcha. the, the chart itself. We might, ha- we might even have it here. But uh, a well-defined bearish to bullish reversal.
6: Yeah, Tim's been a leader in the space for some time. I also own the CNBS uh, ETF. Um, as you know, that's my preferred way to, to do it because I frankly don't have the time to do the due diligence on each of these individual companies. However, I do believe in the secular trend. And one way that I am playing it or that I think that one should also look at playing it is STZ, Constellation, which is a name that I've used in my final trade before, which I think gives you, the sa- gives you exposure without the specification or the specialization, but also gives you a bit more of a diversity Approach. If you aren't able to do the homework, like my man Mr. Seymour is, if not, CNBS is probably also diversification. You're going with the red
1: wine, and you're going with the cannabis. And the pepto.
6: They just need to buy Jack in the Box, and everything is. And and sit
3: in the passenger seat, please. I mean, that's (laughs) That's, That's, well. You know what? Don't show. That's the real deal. Of course it is, and that's you know I think that's that's pretty clear with alcohol and other products that these places sell, that any places sell. That's that's what they're. Yeah, don't
1: do it there. Yeah, And, and if I'm here. And you're here. Doesn't that make it our Our time? time? It does. does. All right, coming up. Stocks. I almost said Snox.
3: Where'd you get that jacket?
1: (laughs) Stocks snapping their win streak as rates rebound and more tough talk comes out of the Fed. We'll get more in the macro markets. Dow down. Look at that. 99.99. Later on, snappy options. The social stock fighting off today's sell-off. Snap actually doing something it almost never does. And closed higher. We'll get the options action on that coming up. All right. Welcome back to Fast Money. We had a nice little win streak going in the markets until today. We closed down. Don't want to make too much of it. We saw that. The NASDAQ, the bigger decliner, down eight tenths of 1%, the Dow down 0.33%. Stocks fell as yields on pretty much every government bond rose. And that's been a trend that we've been seeing a lot of. Yields up, stocks down. The yield on the 10-year note, now hitting its highest level in more than 14 years at 4.14%. It is nearly three times where it was a year ago. Of course, probably artificially pushed down due to COVID. Mortgage rates, get this, mortgage rates also on the rise. The 30-year fixed rate mortgage, sort of for the average borrower, or whatever, 7.22%. That is a 20-year high. Mortgage applications, of course, have been plunging. And homebuilder stocks dropping in response. The XHB ETF seeing its worst day in over a month. I mean, Karen, here's the issue. These stocks, these, I mean, I would imagine are very interest rate sensitive, but was that an overreaction? I mean, it feels like new homebuilders have a lot better capability to ma- ma- uh, manage higher rates than like me trying to sell my home. If I've got a fixed cost, I can't sell it under. I don't know.
4: Well, I'm not sure about that, that fixed cost you can't sell it under. But, I mean, I am long Lowe's and Home Depot, and I think clearly they trade, obviously, with the, you know, with home builders, or home building in general. I do think that... um, Clearly, the Fed has decided we've got to cool off the housing market to be able to get inflation under control. That seems to be working. It's my hope that we're closer to the end of that than the beginning. Historically, this hasn't been a huge—I mean, Fed funds are still at a historical near-the-bottom But it's been painful in the interim, but I'm sticking it out with Home Depot and Lowe's.
6: I mean, I think where you're at is actually a bit safer. If you look at part of the pockets of the market today, at one point the spread between ITB and XHB was over a percent, which tells you that it's the builders themselves that are viewed as being at risk, and it's that home decor adjacent that's viewed at least within that subsector as being, you know, safer. So...
3: You're right. Totally. It just today felt different. It felt kind of weird because Lowe's and Home Depot were kicked around, too. And and two thirds of Lowe's sales are. Uh, repair and refurbish. They're not necessarily a new home builder yeah. dynamic. I mean, this is, if anything, people are staying in their homes. They're going to re- they're gonna put as much money into them as they can. It does feel like today there was some assessment. And to be clear, that Fed fund futures rate is now up to just about under 5%. Um, and you can see it also moving out a little bit. So the terminal rate peak was in April. It's now kind of tied with May. It gives you some sense that people... Think rates are moving out even a little bit higher into the future. In other words, we haven't even hit yeah. that place where they plateau. That's been the development over the last couple of weeks. That may be why people are again reassessing home builders. But the weirdest
1: that quickly before you get Steve, most of the home builders on my screen are higher this month, Carter. I mean, why did the market care that the 30-year yield, the mortgage, is at 7.2 versus 7.1 percent? That's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Right, it's always extrapolating the like rate of change. One-tenth of a percent? It really
5: gets going, home builders will get even worse. But I think to put this in perspective, if you think about the housing bubble, right, we peaked in 05, home builders actually peaked before the so-called bubble peak in late 06. And the move of the last year and a half, we went 100% above the housing bubble. You can see it on yeah. the screen. And now we're right back Look to the 05 level. Mm. And I think we're gonna basically sink through it.
1: Yeah, okay. And if, by the way, if you're listening on the radio, we would say that chart is ugly. All right, let's get more now on interest rates with Steve I Steve, the most recent beige book out a couple of hours ago, it showed some easing in supply disruptions, a little bit encouraging for inflation there. Fed funds futures, though, they're still pricing in a high terminal rate. What gives? What can we expect?
0: Yeah, you know how it goes, uh, Sully. Uh, Seymour says it and we make a chart on it. Guys, if you have that uh, Fed rate right <laughs> outlook the chart there, we'll show you just exactly what Timmy was talking about, and you'll see that we're on that April contract. We're at 497, or kissing five, if you want to call it. It means a good percentage of the market believes it's gonna be five. Um, when that finally hits five, we'll come on. It's 95.03 now on the price, which just equates to 497 on the yield. Um, and you can see that the uh, market thinks the Fed's got a bunch more work to do. That's uh, 275 between here and 452, at least. <clears throat> and then I guess you dial in another 50 for the spring of next year. And then they think they're done and may go the other way, but increasingly less so when it comes to um, that January 24 contract. That That's come up and up and up and up and closer and closer to no change. Um, um. And then, Sully, you said I got a chart on this, too. Take a look at the Beige Book supply disruptions are... Easing, relenting, and less severe were some of the words that were used along with it. Getting back to inflation, they say cost pass-through is more difficult than it was because of consumer pushback. And some easing. Labor is still tight, but some hiring freezes. So remember the Beige Book, guys. You may not remember this, uh, Brian. Maybe you do. March, January 21, they were pretty early in calling the supply disruption. So I was very interested to see that they were seeing some easing on some of that out there, and we'll wanna see some follow through (laughs) next month to see if that's gonna A, be the reality in the economy, but also begin to color how the Fed thinks about supply disruptions and the associated inflation, sir.
1: I wonder, Steve, if the debate is turning. We had Ken Rogoff on the exchange today. I wonder if the debate is turning from, because there's kind of this, tell me if I'm wrong, there's like this expectation where once the Fed is done raising, it's going to start cutting. Rogoff's point today was pretty much, yeah, the Fed may stop raising, but they may not cut for
0: years. What's sort of is there a consensus on this? You know, if you told me you were going to talk about Rogoff, I would have brought the quote along, Brian, because I got Uh it right here. I I was I was looking exactly at it earlier today, and the quote is, I think that rates need to go to at least five, but when we when they get to five, it's still not going to be enough. We're in for stagflation, and that's a point they've started to look towards. And we're going to slow down at that point. And he talks about recession after that. But, you know, Brian, it's interesting because I don't know which part of hike and hold people don't quite understand. (laughs) The Fed has been very, very monolithic about this when it comes to what they're going to do. They're going to get up there and they're going to hang there until there is what they call sufficient evidence to bring it back down. I mean, it may be John Williams told me a few months ago that. It wouldn't be crazy to tweak on the edge once they got to their peak rate, maybe up a quarter, down a quarter, whatever. Um, but but yeah. ultimately, they're going to hold until they stamp out the fires of inflation. There you go.
1: Higher rates, seven point two percent mortgage. You wonder what it means. Maybe not on, maybe not a lot around here, but for folks in Escanaba, Michigan, and Shreveport, Louisiana, and whatever else, it sure matters. Steve, thank you very much all right coming up calling all social butterflies snap is on deck to report tomorrow do you care we'll talk about snapchat coming up plus oil on the go what is behind this recent leg higher we're releasing more oil and all oil stocks and oil did was rise today we'll talk more about it and do not miss tomorrow's cnbc virtual disruptor 50 summit we will look at the trends that disrupt able and power growth scan the qr code on your screen to register Fast money back in two. I got some headlines at a Tesla's conference call. Elon Musk is on the call. Gene Munster has been listening in. Gene, what are you hearing that's piquing your interest?
7: Brian, Elon is on fire tonight. He came out swinging like he typically does on the call, but he said that December is going to be an epic quarter. The company cannot uh, keep up with demand. As fast as they make them, they will sell them. And then he went off into his uh, philosophy mode and talked about where the, this company can go over the long term. And he said, uh, re- referenced the time when he thought that he his company could be bigger than Apple uh, many years ago. And he updated that thinking and says he sees a path where they can be Tesla can be bigger than Apple and Saudi Aramco combined which would be 4.3 billion dollars currently Tesla's market cap is 700 billion I will take the under on that over the next 5-10 years but I do uh, I think what he's just trying to do is use every uh, measure possible to reiterate uh, yeah. his confidence and then he added They'll do uh, some form of a share buyback between 5 and $10 billion over the next year. Un- uncertain on the exact timing.
1: No, stocks loss is being paired a little bit. Gene Munster, thank you very much. All right, let's move on. Shares up a snap, getting a small boost ahead of results tomorrow. Options traders are feeling a little bit bullish. Scott Nation's joining us now with the options action. I'm going to stock, Scott, that's down, what, 70% plus or something?
11: Yeah, it's had a really tough time over the last two quarters. But option volume today was good, 2.4 times the average that we've seen year to date. But uh, Brian, the big trade today was a purchase of, as a single lot, 6,500 of the 13 strike calls expiring this Friday. So this is purely an earnings play. You mentioned that they're going to report earnings tomorrow. Uh, the call buyer paid 38 cents. That was with the stock just below. $11 a share and somebody thinks that earnings are going to be fantastic because the break even for this trade $13 38 cents that would require a rally of 22 percent and the broader snap option market thinks that the implied move between now and the end of the week is only 10 and a half percent so somebody really thinks the earnings are gonna be fantastic Brian they only pay 247 thousand dollars total But in the pit, we would have said they paid a quarter of a million dollars for a lottery ticket.
1: Well, there you go. Well said, Scott. Thank you very much. For more options action, be sure to tune in to the full show. That is every Friday at 530 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk oil and oil stocks, both rising even as the White House sells more oil from our emergency reserves. Good day for oil stockholders. And don't miss the first episode of Special Edition with Andrew Ross Sorkin tonight at 1030. Stick around. Let's talk oil and oil stocks. Oil on the rise, oil stocks on the rise. but a good couple of days, even as the White House said today that they want oil producers to produce more oil and the SPR get released again. Carter, you say press your bets on oil and gas. How come?
5: I think so. So a couple things. I mean, for starters, there is this talk that oil's down so much. Oil's still eighty-five dollars a barrel. That's a great price as an uh, operator in the business. But the main thing is this: energy stocks act well. They made all-time relative highs since the pandemic low today to the market. The chart here on your screen is is up and to the right, north yeah. by northeast, what's not to like?
1: Karen, you like that.
4: Yes, I do like that. I love Carter's charts, uh, especially when I agree with them. So I had been looking for a long time at the OIH versus the commodity oil, and I think we have that from just before Russia invaded Ukraine, and we saw that it diverged a lot, converged, with that dollar for dollar trade on long oih short the commodity that ended up working took some off took it all off and then it went up another ten percent in the last three or four days maybe so uh i still have oih but i also want to expand into the uh, xle
3: so if you look at drillers again fracks uh, rig count were around 890 a year ago we were probably around eight we were around 770. if you look at hydro frack uh, rigs were at 250 we were at about 20 last year The business and the profitability in the business, again, for companies that are better run than ever. Um, So oil services have not been as profitable as the integrateds and the E&Ps. It's time for them to start breaking out. But again, we talk about this. Most of these companies are valued at $70 oil or less. Not the 92 it is, not the 103 it's averaged for 2022.
1: And today the U.K. voted to not ban fracking again, which means they could open it up, which would be very good news probably for Schlumberger, Halliburton, BKR, which are like 50% of the OIH. Up next, your final trade.
3: Final trade, let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Energy, again, Exxon, they've got earnings coming up a couple weeks, about to get to all time highs. Again, it's not 2005, it's not 2008, it's the time. And again, the free cash flow generation here is extraordinary.
4: Karen. Yes, I agree with every single thing that Tim just said, and I agree with Carter's charts. Along the XLE, staying along the OIH as well.
6: Oil love, Bono, when you stick it in the oil pit? I am not. I'm sticking with STZ, Conservation Brands. <laughs> yeah, because you can get all of their products at Circle K. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> STZ. And Carter Worth, you got a lot of time for this final trade. The hit
5: parade keeps coming. Alcoa, after hours, down. Allstate, down. Tesla, down. Stay short.
1: Brian, you're going to be
3: hosting a charity event in Times Square tomorrow, tomorrow night. night. Tickets
1: still available. Rocktoberfest, thank you. Great cause for a leg to stand on. Fantastic. Hard Rock Cafe right here. Still tickets available. So we're going to be rocking out. Great mobility for kids, underprivileged kids in uh, third world countries that you don't know, need to get around. So check it out. We'll see you tomorrow night for that. Everybody, thanks for watching. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.